right y'all happy thursday it's another thursday uh welcome to another episode of the she speaks truth podcast always and forever forever ever (laughs) speaking god's truth over you uh god has been so good so faithful so kind and we just thank him for just all he has done in his favor and just his loving kindness towards us he's been such a good god um i sincerely pray that everyone is having a good week so far it is thursday so i do pray that you are having a good week um and that god is just blessing you god is just blessing you um if you follow me on instagram which you should if you're not following me you need to follow me my instagram name is i am she speaks truth so you can follow me um but if you're if you're following me you'd have seen that um i put up a post this week i'm doing this thing where i'm doing um videos to kind of like set the tone for the week just to challenge people to to put a word over their week um a word a declaration something just so we can be you know just pace ourselves and 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 look towards that and so the word or the phrase rather uh that the Lord laid on my heart for this week was hope and expectancy. Um, And so I pray that we are continuing to live and walk um, in hope and expectancy or hope and expectation um, and realize that our God is able, regardless of what is happening around us, we know that so much can contribute to uh, feelings of hopelessness and fear and despair and all kinds of stuff. But we are reminded of our God and I want to remind you of our God and who our God is and just his faithfulness towards us. Uh, there's a song for those of us who grew up in church. It says, roll back the curtains of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Remember, I am human and human forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. And sometimes we just need a reminder from the Lord. Sometimes we just need him to remind us. And so today is your reminder, uh, just a reminder of how faithful God has been and how many times he has come through for you. Uh, There's a meme on social media somewhere that says, uh, God came through. It's not like I came up, but God came through. Uh, So just want to remind you of that. So, on today's podcast episode, I have a special treat for you. Um, So, last Thursday, myself, Ashley Keen, and Dr. Joseph Smith, we had um, an amazing discussion, and it was around uh, healing in the Black community. And I just felt led to share that. Um, I know that everybody wasn't able to join or to jump on, but I wanted to share that discussion today. There was so many amazing amazing tips and and so many things that we we talked about and I definitely wanted to share some of those things we talked about how trauma is stored in the body we talked about creating spaces of healing for black men in our community we talked about what else did we talk about we talked about intergenerational trauma we talked about so many things and so this week i want to share that with you um part one i'm going to share part one with you um so just for your listening pleasure and for your learning pleasure as well uh so grab your notebooks grab 
grab your pens um, and listen. I know that people say, Jess, I have to listen to your podcast with like a notebook and pen. And that's dope because that means that um, my type of, of, of learning <laughs> is being administered through this podcast because that's how I learn as well. I have notebook, pen, or I have my phone and I'm taking notes. And that's good because that type of learning is, is helpful for repetition and for application, right? So that's awesome. So I want to invite you to tune into this conversation. It is so amazing. I listened back to it and I was like, whoa, this is actually really, really good. Um, so yeah, man, listen to it, be blessed and let me know how it goes. I definitely want to know how it goes for you. Take care. Well, not take care, but, (laughs) but listen and be blessed. tonight we're super excited to have this conversation tonight we can't wait um I've had quite a bit of people uh just be like hey just can't wait we're really excited so the first thing we're gonna say is share with everybody black like share with everybody (laughs) share with everyone share that yeah man share with everyone on your um on your timeline and let them know that we are having a discussion tonight on uh, soul care and uh, healing in the Black community. We're super, super excited. Um, we have prayed, we have talked, we've had conversation, and we are sitting among, if I don't say so myself, me, myself bowed out, um, some of the greatest um, young people ever, uh, Dr. Joseph Smith, and we have Minister Ashley Keene. Personally, it's definitely uh, a privilege and an honor just to be able to sit with these people, like super, super, super excited to sit with them. So once again, share with everyone. Uh, We're going to wait just a few minutes. Yes, we see the the views going up. Uh, So share with everyone. Um, Welcome them into the conversation. Once again, we did say that originally, you know, we wanted it to be kind of like a closed workshop. Um, but the Lord really just laid it on my heart to to shift that, and so there's a reason why He wanted me to shift that, and I'm I'm ex- I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm really excited, and I'm here for it. So once again, uh, share with everybody black, and let's talk about healing in our community. Let's talk about it. Um, it's definitely a, a worthy conversation that we need to have. Um, more particularly because of just the recent happenings in our community. There's been so much that has been taking place. It's absolutely, I don't even, I don't want to use the word ridiculous, but it's crazy. Um, the amount of stuff that's been happening in our community. But we definitely are um, happy to be in this space where we can we can share. All right, so I think I've spoken enough on on welcomes, <laughs> um, but definitely want to start with this as to, and I, I probably mentioned it quite a bit already as to just why we're having this conversation, right? Um, and we're having this this conversation because it needs to be had. Uh, we've had generations of trauma and issues in our in our black community. And there's been so much, as I've said before, that has been taking place um, over the past, I wanna say, and outside of even just the racial injustices where police brutality is concerned, there's been so much that has been happening um, as it pertains to um, 
just even the pandemic and the disparities in that and how Black bodies are experiencing that, right? And then on top of that, there's the racial injustices. So Mm -hmm. we need to have this conversation and I'm excited to have it. I really am. Um, So that's why we're having it. We're having it because we want to have... So there's this aspect of, of collective trauma, right? So a lot of people are going through this, we're going through this together. And so I've always been one to kind of want to switch the narrative where we have collective trauma. So let's heal collectively as well, right? So as you can see, I have a hashtag there at the bottom, um, healed people heal people. Uh, that's what, <laughs> right? That's what, that's that's my, you know, right? So they, there's the, the concept of like, hurt people hurt people so how about now heal people heal people yeah. right yeah. so that's that's kind that's where i'm coming from with that where we need to switch the narrative of those of us who have gone through are going through our own healing journeys that we are spreading the word and we're also um spreading healing as well, right? There's been so much hurt, I think, that has been perpetuated and and dispersed in our community. And so now I think I definitely want to be a conduit, and I know these guys do too, uh, to switch the narrative. So that's why we're having the conversation tonight. Um, we wanna, we want there to be a space of healing. There's been a lot of spaces. There's been spaces of bashing. There's been spaces of, of division. There's been so much different types of spaces. And so tonight, this space is a space of healing. Mm. All right. So we just want to set the, cause, cause I'm churchy. Just want to set the atmosphere. <laughs> Uh, right <laughs> for a space of healing so i'm just gonna um before I, I have these guys introduce themselves i'm gonna go ahead and introduce myself um and then i'll have these guys introduce themselves so my name is jessica grant so i almost said jessica robinson uh, i'm married but i haven't changed my name yet it's been almost four years and i haven't changed my name yet but so right now i'm going by jessica robinson grant <laughs> Um, and so I'm an MSW. I've been doing community work now for, I want to say, since I was 18, I've been doing community work and engaging community. Um, and my passion has always been um, on the, a focus on the Black community and just being a voice in my community. I remember when I was writing my um, my letter of, letter of interest to get into my MSW, I just, I played that all up. I was like, I am Black. I want I'm blackity black and I'm more black and um I want to be a black a voice in the black community. And <laughs> lo and behold, <laughs> lo and behold, I got in, praise Jesus. Um hey, and hey. it was it right, <laughs> it was dope. And I mean, we can have a whole discussion around racism in institutions, and I'm sure uh Dr. Smith can speak to that, and I'm sure Ashley can too. Uh, but we won't go there tonight. That's not what this is for. Um, but and I've so and I've done a lot of work in the black community, uh, working with black youth, working in trauma-informed spaces. So our com- our conversation tonight is coming from a trauma-informed lens. So know that as well. And going down um, as we go through the discussion, I will talk a little bit more about what trauma is and what we are potentially experiencing. All right. So who wants to go first? Who's going to introduce themselves first? Ashley, you're on mute, sis. (laughs) Technology. (laughs) Um, Okay, so my name is Ashley Keen, um, and I am a registered nurse. 
um, completed my um, Bachelor of Nursing a few years ago. Um, I also work with Jessica. Um, we work together on three, um, I work with her. She's the visionary of 365 Ministries, which is um, focused on bringing um, on service to the Black community. Um, um, I've been working, well, I work specifically with um, uh, mental health clients, well, older adults who are suffering from like dementia and Alzheimer's and stuff like that. That is my current area of expertise. However, God has blessed me enough to, um, what do you call it, spread my wings a little bit, work in, um, work with youth. Um, I'm a youth leader in my church, um, and I also lead youth groups outside of church. So there's a lot of that going on. And I, yeah, that's me basically in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Thank okay. you, Ashley. Go ahead, Dr. Smith. Hello, everybody. Uh, so I am Dr. Smith. And I, uh, I do a lot of different things. So I guess first and foremost, I'm a contract professor. <laughs> um, I'm a contract professor. And so I've taught at Tyndale University and I teach at York University. And I'm also mm -hmm. a TDSB educator. So I'm trained to teach from kindergarten all the way to grade 12. I prefer the oh, same, nice. but I love the little kids too. <laughs> <laughs> And aside from my, my vocations, my traditional conventional vocations, I also deal with a lot of different nonprofit work. So I run my own nonprofit called Generation Chosen, which focuses on four main pillars, mental health, emotional intelligence, education in terms of financial literacy and mm -hmm. engagement. And I co-founded that organization with my wife, Kamari Smith, and my best friend, Dwayne Brown. And we've grown in the last four years to now have a staff of 15 and to cater to hundreds of youth within the Dana Finch, thank you, North York area. Uh, and so I'm very proud about that. Mm -hmm. We're funded now. And so I sit on the board of Operation Black Boat Canada, which is a nonprofit organization that seeks to increase the level of representation of Black people within the political ecosystem. And that's at mm -hmm. all three levels of government, municipal, provincial, and federal. Mm -hmm. And so my role with Operation Bible Canada is as a youth outreach lead, a director of youth outreach. And we've done a lot of great things. Like we've put on a municipal leaders debate with Nia mm -hmm. and John Tory, Jennifer Kiesman. Um, we also, and we brought the community out for that. Young people got to see these people in person, which is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, and we put on a provincial leaders debate with Andrew Horowitz, um, Kathleen Wynn, Doug Forrest did not, didn't come, but, uh, I mean, I'll leave that for another conversation. And <laughs> um, consistent conversations with uh, Justin Trudeau um, mm -hmm. to help him diversify his cabinet and, and mm -hmm. to also advocate for black staffers and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, there's a lot of things I do, but I think I'll just leave it there for time's sake. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm around, I'm around. I do a lot of different things. No, man, you're definitely around. And definitely. listen, to those who are viewing, these are people you need to know, okay? Um, these are people you definitely need to know. Go ahead, Ash. Uh, somebody in the comments actually just reminded me that I also do poetry and spoken word. Yes. So, <laughs> I feel like I needed to add that in as well. Yes, you do. Um, I, do I do speak on stages and um, use that uh, platform to speak on Black issues and the Black struggle as well. So... And yeah. I write a blog, like that's a plug, hey. Yeah, yeah, hey. Ashley's a dope spoken word artist, okay? Um, and just to watch how she has evolved and how she has used um, her writing to inform uh, mental health, 
that's crazy. So we're going to talk about that as well. Um, but these are people you need to get to know. I know for a fact that one day when Corona is over, I'm going to sit at Dr. Smith's feet and be like, teach me all the info. Because <laughs> I want to be like you when I grow up. Like, right? <laughs> Literally. No, I think it's commendable because um, you're a believer and you're also involved in the community and you're in academia. Like that's, exactly. that's amazing, right? That's like power to the people. That's the Thank dream. You. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been my dream since I was 18 years old to be a university prof. Um, and I mean, along the way, my goal was just single-mindedly to become a university prof, but along the way, different things happen. Mm-hmm. You get involved in a variety of other things and you expand your capacity. So yeah, no, I really, yeah. I really appreciate it. And that's why we had them on the panel tonight. Um, so <laughs> if you're not sharing this, you're selfish. I'm joking. So, <laughs> those are not my words, those are somebody else's words. Um, but yeah, no, play, if you haven't pressed the share button yet, please press the share button because you want everybody to be a part of this discussion. Absolutely. Okay, so I want to know Ashley and Joseph. Uh let's go with Ashley first. Why did you say yes to being a part of this conversation? Why what drew you to be like, mm, I'm not sure, or mm, yeah, I'm a part of it. What what made you say yes to being a part of this conversation? Um well because I believe the conversation needs to be had. Mm-hmm. Um I know lots of times we've gone with the um don't talk about it and mm-hmm. maybe it will fix itself. Mm-hmm. Um line but i've learned that over time communication is important and you don't really find solution without communication Mm -hmm. Uh, so the uh, opportunity to speak and share is like it's invaluable it is important and i believe that um people of influence when they have the platform to speak to change they Mm -hmm. share so that's yeah that's my yes right there awesome um and um dr smith why did you say yes to this conversation uh, so many reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Reasons is that I, I was really um, concerned about the lack of material existing out there where issues that pertain to social justice are in touch with spirituality and that mm-hmm. often get done. And also, if it gets done, it doesn't always get done as well as it should. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a part of the solution for that and, and contribute my time and my efforts to ensuring that a conversation like this gets done right and so that people can actually experience holistic healing. Why? So thank you for inviting me and allowing me to be here. My pleasure. I like what you talked about around holistic healing and that's what I'm all about. Um, People in the comments are coming for us. So somebody was like, also, Jessica speaks God's truth over you. So yes, Yes, podcast. (laughs) Yes, podcast. We do so much we don't even remember. I know, right? I speak God's truth over you. I lead a nonprofit organization called 365 Ministries. And um, it's black led, black serving. And I have a mentorship program called My Sister's Keeper. That's also black led, black serving. Amen and praise the Lord. Um, But I I like what you said about that holistic because that's, I think that's God's heart for humanity. Um, We are not just body. We are not just mind. We're not just soul. We're not just spirit, but we are holistic. Right. So I think it's important that we do approach that conversation um, from a holistic standpoint. And so 
right now, I just want to lay a quick foundation um, around what we're talking about. Um, and what, because when we talk about healing in the Black community, there's no way we can leave out the aspect of trauma. Like, Unfortunately, a lot of our identities and because and how we are being treated even right now is built on trauma, years of trauma, generational trauma, historical trauma, all kinds of trauma, right? And so what is what is trauma? Uh, it is a physical or psychological impact that can happen to you um, where sometimes you feel intense fear or hopelessness, right? So that's like a very brief synopsis of what trauma is. Um, there are different types of trauma or different ways in which you can experience trauma or elements of trauma. So it's unexpected. Um, you are prepared for it and uh, there's a loss of control. And if we can reflect and, and contextualize, we will see that um, that is some of the things that are happening to us right now and some of the things that has happened to us before. Once again, I'm giving very brief definitions. Um, but what I really want to speak to right now, contextualizing this, is racial trauma, right? Racial trauma is real. And one of the things that I want to talk about is just validating how you're feeling in this moment. Um, because a lot of us have felt sad. A lot of us have felt low, anxious, mad. There's all different types of feelings that we have felt. I'm wondering, yo, like, why do I feel like this? Why am I even mad? Why am I big mad? about this right and yeah. it's literally that's that's the impact of racial racial trauma yeah. that's what racial trauma does right it is it is a product of race-based stress yeah. right so as if you are if you've experienced racial discrimination um racial harassment or if there's even a systemic aspect of racism and so I don't know if I can say this, Dr. Smith or Ashley correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like if you are black you've kind of experienced racial trauma yeah, no, is that is that is that a is that too broad? I don't know. Because if we're looking at systems, yeah, right? If we're if if it's not just an interpersonal trauma, um, yeah. interpersonal thing, if it's not just external, but if it's historical, yeah. then maybe we've all in some way or some context, even if you have some type of privilege, yeah. have, has experienced racial trauma. Yeah. I, I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't uh discount that that claim. Mm -hmm. Um Trauma is something that can be experienced in the most subtle of ways. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a gigantic, you know, incredibly mm -hmm. difficult, overwhelming situation for it to be traumatizing. Mm -hmm. So by that standard, every human being under the sun has possibly experienced mm -hmm. trauma. Mm -hmm. And it only gets compounded when you think about black life. Because mm -hmm. we have to navigate. So mm -hmm. I'd be shocked. I mean, someone could obviously say I've never experienced trauma, but they could be lying. Right. Mm -hmm. And they just don't know. They don't fully understand how trauma affects, affects them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I like when you talk about that aspect. And I hope people have, you know, a little notebook and pen, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm big on taking notes. Um, but what I like that you talk about that aspect of compounded trauma or cumulative yeah. trauma. So there's the historical trauma we've experienced. There's the trauma now that we are experiencing. And I want to speak to that because racial trauma also doesn't just have to be something that has happened to you, but something you've witnessed. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of us who have who has watched the all of the videos of George Floyd yeah. dying and all of these different things and, and what we're seeing happening to black people, you have experienced racial trauma, right? So I want to I want to shed light on that and and let you and contextualize that because you're like wondering like 
why am I feeling like this, right? Why am I feeling like this? And I think it's also important to know yeah. that there is a response to that. And I like what you talked about, Dr. Smith, about the holistic aspect. There's a response to that because um, doc Dr. Candice Hargan, who I love, I just discovered her. She's amazing. I don't know if you know her. Uh, she's not from here. She's from the States. She's amazing. Um, but she talked about just some research she's done, some qualitative research that she has done around people when you talk about racial trauma. So they're probably like, ah, whatever. But then their heart rate goes up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? So they're, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So they're testing them and their heart rate. And it's like, whoa, why am I? So I, I wanted to lay that foundation because I wanted to validate how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. What you're feeling is real. Yeah. What you've experienced is real. It is not, it's not a joke. What we are experiencing mm -hmm. is real. When we see police brutality across our timeline and across mm -hmm. social media, it is real what we are experiencing. Yeah. 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 Did anybody want to add anything to that? Um, I just wanted to say that, like, for me, um, I knew I was negatively impacted one day when I was driving by um, a police officer frisking a black guy on the highway. Mm. And I was just like, and my heart, like, my heart rate picked up. I was like, Lord, please don't let him do anything. I don't know if he's wrong or is right. Or, like, just the thoughts that were going through my mind when I drove by, I stopped and I was like, hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow yeah didn't expect that you know what i mean like just where the place my mind went to told me a story that i didn't like i had i didn't know about that was happening in my mind so yeah mm -hmm. yeah no like i know for myself um growing up because i grew up in florida um and I've always every growing up i always lived in the hood like that was just my my lived reality um and i had a negative or I guess a fear of police because police were never seen in a positive way, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not uncommon for black bodies to feel as though um, police are the enemy because of just merely because of how we've been treated. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So. And you you kind of uh, view police as the enemy before you even reach maturity because of- mm -hmm. Yeah. And so those messages are, being subtly and saliently passed on to you through mm -hmm. film and through mm -hmm. conversations, mm -hmm. and you're already anxious about a potential mm -hmm. encounter with police officers. And for me as a black man, I find that it's an incredible travesty that I have and the, the young people I've mentored have had to adapt to a life where trauma is the norm. Mm. Uh, what I mean by that is that like, I can't tell you how many times I've been stopped by cops and I've been jailed in Greece, in a foreign country. Oh, and wow. Because of this color of my skin. And when it comes to my experiences with police officers in Toronto, institutions don't engage with people properly when their identities are intersectional. And mm -hmm. so you are Black and of a lower income community. Mm, yeah. You, um, that's going to compound the yes. type of interactions you're going to have with police officers or other institutional representatives, mm -hmm. at which point you're gonna have a compounded experience of trauma. Mm -hmm. And you just have to adapt to it or, or else yeah. you kind of fall by the wayside. And I've mm -hmm. a lot of young men and women in my community who've just kind of drifted off as a result of being unable to bear the weight of that kind of traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, no, 
that's real that's mm -hmm. like that's real thank you thank you for sharing that that's yeah. real um i think for me the, the biggest thing that makes me nervous to be honest is the knock of a police officer on your door yeah. that puts me in a in a different kind of shiver like that it's it's like whoa kind of thing so just moving on um because you know we have quite a bit of, of stuff that we're going to be touching on tonight um as we talk about you know experience um healing and so forth um I, i'll start in terms of just sharing our own experience of healing mm. right I'll, I'll start um i think i think for me it's it's been a very interesting journey when I when I talk about healing, and I, I'm so glad that Dr. Smith brought up that aspect of compound trauma. I'm so glad because even as we go through this season right now of a collective racial trauma, don't even know if that's a term like together, um, but collective racial trauma, um, a lot of us can fi probably find ourselves triggered. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, a lot absolutely. Of us, you know what I mean? Triggered mm -hmm. um, thinking about certain things. I know for myself that like one day I was literally like in the washroom and I looked at my skin and I started to cry because I was like, oh, why do people hate me for oh, the color? You know, for real, like I legit like and even <laughs> now I'm getting emotional about it. Like yeah. I was like, why do people hate me for the color of my skin? Like yeah. I didn't. This is how God created me. Why? Why? And this can be, you know, gone coined back to some of the things that I grew up seeing, grew up hearing and, and, and different things like that. So my journey of healing. So, um, grew up with a lot of trauma, um, grew up, as I said, in, in Florida, Antigua, in the hood of the hood <laughs> kind of thing, um, and lived in very extreme poverty and just grew up seeing a lot of domestic abuse. Um, I was abused myself as a child um, and I grew up with that trauma. That that trauma became an adult mm -hmm. with me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, it grew up with me kind of thing, right? And so I think another thing too was... Um, I, I was really busy, so I never really noticed that I was traumatized or that, you know, some of the things that were happening. But 2018 changed my life. Yeah. And I had my first mental breakdown. I had my, was it 2018? No, 2000, 2017, 2018. 2018, 2018. And I had mental breakdown twice in the space of eight months. And I'm like, yo, what is going on? Like straight up. And then... You know, I took a break from stuff, took a Can break. Sorry, oh, please. How did you experience your mental breakdown? Like what um, detail? Like what actually yes, happened? please, please. Thank you for asking. <laughs> That's why you're on here. That's why you're on here. Um, I experienced it. Um, I was really a mental breakdown came. I was really sad. Okay. I was really low. Yeah. I was crying all the time. Okay. I felt alone. I felt unsupported. Like there was just so much that was happening in my head and in my emotions all at once. There was so much that was happening. And it happened twice in the space yeah. of eight months. And I was like, something is wrong. And I was like, okay. So I took a break from ministry, took a break from a lot of different things. Um, and then it happened again last year. And I'm like, bro, like what's going on kind of thing. But rewinding, I definitely Start, I started my journey of inner healing where I would like, I started reading books. I was taking self-care. I was taking my self-care more seriously. That Because when I was in university, like self-care was nothing. I was a team no sleep kind of girl, yeah. but not anymore. Yeah. I sleep, <laughs> my friends <laughs> tell you. Um, and that's where my journey of healing began. 
when those mental breakdowns came and I started seeing a therapist. And I remember when I first called uh, my therapist uh, or for the consultation and I was talking to her and she's this Trini lady and she said, what you need is inner child healing. I said, tell me all the healing that I need because clearly, and so we made sense of it. What was happening was that what I experienced as a child was it happened around that certain time. And so, it could be a switch. It could be as something as simple as the change in the leaves yeah. of the season that would trigger yeah. me. Any yeah. of those things. So I started to talk to my mom, mommy, tell me what, where we were at this time, what happened, da, 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 da. Um, and so my experience of healing um, definitely comes first and foremost with my relationship with Christ, 100%. Let me tell you, if I didn't have Jesus in my life, my mind would be gone. That's just me. That's yeah. me. Okay, yeah. that's my testimony. Without him, I don't know where I would be. He has been a stabilizer for my mind. Um, but for me, my, my journey of healing was was my relationship with Jesus. And it was also my um, just going to see a therapist, reading, um, changing up my circle of friends, and just also self-love and identity. That's how my journey of healing was for me. Um, I remember just going through scripture and just because I had really low self-esteem. Like my husband would get mad at me. Okay. He would be like, yeah. he would be like, <laughs> he'd be like Jess, you're so pretty. And I'm like, Yeah, sure. What you say, kind of thing, right? And so I can say that this journey of healing has been so beautiful. This evolution, I feel like a new person, like. You know, I mean, and I and I will coin this to say that healing is not a destination. It is a journey. So mm -hmm. God is still working on me. There are things mm -hmm. that God is bringing up in my life that I didn't mm -hmm. even know existed. I was like, whoa, okay, God. So that has been uh, my journey of healing and I'm continuing to heal and to push forward. Uh, that aspect of soul care, I don't only preach it, but I live yeah. it. Yeah. I live it like, yeah. and I realized that self-care was more external and I needed mm -hmm. to soul care now was yeah. just, it's deep. Like it's getting to the inner of the inner and just pulling some stuff out. So yeah. that's been my experience of healing. Um, Ashley, do you want to go next? Uh, well, for me, um, healing, I found myself in a place where negative self-thought was kind of like my, my best friend. I like I can't even tell you how I I got to that place because I'm like I call myself a chronic overthinker, yes. um, in the sense that um, it works to my benefit when need be, but there are times when it really doesn't. Um, so I'd find myself in this place of um, negative self thought, where um, my first instinct is to attack me. Mm. Um, attack like my personhood attack um like my intelligence whatever the case is mm -hmm. um like that's the first place. if anything happens like that is one of the first places mm -hmm. unfortunately i will go to well ashley why did you have to say that ashley why did you have to do that even if i did nothing wrong that that would be and so with thoughts like that you find yourself um like you you end up in depressing places because it it's only a downhill a downhill like trajectory with negative self-thought um and just negative thoughts period so one of the things i had to do was i had to learn to be still 
like I had to learn to find my triggers mm-hmm. um especially if I'm anxious about something like because anxiety can be like anxiety is one of my triggers if I feel anxious about something like so anxious to the point where I start nitpicking at how yeah. the thing is gonna fail for example like I find myself on that downward trajectory. It's better you just don't do it. It's better you just like to talk myself out of it. Then then it becomes now now um, now you're not worthy enough. Now you're not like finding reasons and then nitpicking me in order to like to fig- to to be like yeah no just don't go through with the thing. Um, whatever the case is, I hosted my my po- uh, my poetry workshop. Um, last Saturday actually Mm -hmm. um and like I struggled to to get to hosting that to host that because Mm -hmm. of this whole like this the negative trajectory of my thoughts but healing for me um started when I when I as I said I started to be still Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I stopped because um stillness brings self-awareness like it brings you to a place where you have to confront yourself to be like why is this happening to me like why am i why do i do this to myself i realized like even from a younger age like i started finding like little things um that i used to go through things that people said to me um that i didn't know were seeds in my life for example i took took root like for me like i grew up in jamaica like one of the things there you will find is like colorism like people think my skin and my hair like they they apparently are not supposed to be in the same like Mm. masterpiece because it's like this is too um too african for my skin tone yeah Yeah, like legit i've been told that so like those things like take root and you don't even realize like (laughs) that there are things that you're not supposed to hear till you get older and Mm -hmm. so like those things took root in my life and it wasn't until i was older that i was just like oh and so um writing is one of my outlets um i use like writing to break things apart we're going to talk more about that later Mm -hmm. but that's what that's that's you know how i find healing along with just we talk about like um jesus like y'all if i didn't have the lord (laughs) i don't know where i'd be um you know what i'm saying so that's just a little bit into like the journey. I won't get into because we're going to talk about writing a little bit more later. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll talk mm-hmm. about like how that has helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's okay. where it started for me. <sighs> okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Smith seems so distressed. Um, no, I, I, I'm so proud of both of you. Just to hear you guys articulate your traumas and how you work to surmount them i'm just so proud like oh thank you touches me and so i'm so happy for both of you and i know it's an ongoing battle and mm-hmm. it was like a roller coaster that you can't get off of mm-hmm. but i'm so proud of you guys for putting the first step forward honestly yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean it. I mean Thank it. You. I know you do. I know. You do. Thank <laughs> you. Um, so we have a question in the comments. So it says, um, from V. Is that actually? Yeah. It says. Actually, let me put it up here. It says. So, do you think the journey of healing is continuous? Also, if you feel this coming back, how do you overcome it? Um. I can take a stab at it and then you guys can take a stab at it as well. Um, I do feel like the journey of healing is continuous. I actually do. Um, And in terms of coming back, where I am right now, 
it has definitely, certain things has definitely resurfaced, but having a relationship with a therapist for myself has really been helpful. Um, And also not carrying shame because this is coming back has also been helpful. So I think one of the things is just asking the Lord to release us from shame because I feel like sometimes when certain things come back, we're like, oh my gosh, why is it coming back or whatever the case may be. But it's asking the Lord to release us, to release us from shame. I think that's super, super important. Um, so yeah, I do feel like the journey of healing is continuous because you, you're probably going to have to heal from different things, or maybe you're still healing from the same thing. I don't know. Um, but I mean, I guess we can use a scripture of even Paul, where Paul was like, I had this thorn in my flesh, um, and <laughs> Jesus didn't take it out. Yeah. He didn't take it out. I had to I had to go through it. Um, and sometimes I know for myself that the Lord reminds me of certain things so that I can be like, Oh, I need somebody needs to be spoken to about that thing in that moment, kind of thing. So that's that's my take on it. How about yeah. you guys? Um, and so for me, the way I conceptualize the question is that, yes, it's continuous. However, at some point in your maturity and intellectual development, spiritual development, there has to be something you're able to cleave to that acts as an anchor for you. Mm. Um, that you're always going to feel stable, but it does mean that you can always go back to that anchorage mm-hmm. in order to relieve you of the tensions you're experiencing in a given moment. Um, and how that anchor comes for you, where it comes, when it comes, it all depends on the person and what their unique needs are. For me, it came at 23. Um, and prior to that, I had led a very traumatic upbringing experience, late teens experience and early 20s experience. And since then, I've had even more traumatic things happen to me. But I was always able to revert back to a series of experiences and ideas that I clung to at mm-hmm. around the age of 23, yeah. 24. So I feel like there has to be something and and you were both expressing it, like your relationship with Christ becomes that thing that anchors you. Mm-hmm. But to make it even less ambiguous for some people, there has to be something about Christ specifically. That's that good. Yes. Such a way where you're like, oh, I can revert back to this thought mm-hmm. every single time I'm running up into that tension. It doesn't have to even be a biblical verse, but it has to be something about the narrative of Christ that appeals to you in such a way where you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. my mind is getting confused. I'm feeling all tipsy-turvy, but that narrative, there's something in that story that's beholden to me and Mm -hmm. help you maintain your healing and your process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's good. I think for me, one of those things is, because I grew up without my father, one of those things is the fact that he's a father. That Uh for me, anchors me so well. Ashley, did you want to add to that? Yeah. Um, no, I think y'all covered it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Dr. Smith, do you want to yeah. then just share your journey of healing as well? Sure, and depending on time, I'll try to be quick. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, so like you, Jess, I grew up in a single parent household and I grew up in um, the closest thing to an American hood, which is Jane and Finch. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same intensity, but quite intense, given the time that I was living there. Um, I uh, So I came up in the 90s in Jane and Finch, and around that time period, there was a heated issue between the Crips and the Bloods, and this was mm-hmm. four going on that all of us little kids would get caught up in. And because of that, police officers would always be going through our neighborhoods and profiling us from a young age. And so I was profiled by six years old, 
Um, and from there, you get into the 2000s where the, the government officials, educational um, elites were trying to introduce a policy of zero tolerance. And what yeah. that meant yeah. is that like, oh, if you come to school with headgear, you come to school with anything that looks like a knife, we're suspending you or expelling you. Mm. And what that ended up leading to was the year of the gun in 07. Mm. And so all these kids getting expelled, my friends ending up on the street, either becoming pimps, becoming um, um, hustlers in a particular way, stealing cars, things of that nature, or getting involved in a drug game. And I'm watching them all drop like fives be because they belong to a particular gang or because police officers are after them. Um, and that wasn't even, you know, the biggest part of my traumatic experiences. I, I think I mentioned to you that I, uh, I, I finally got into university after doing a program called the ACE program, took me out of high school in grade 11, brought me to campus. I did well on campus and so I got a scholarship. I took some of my scholarship money to go on a traveling trip across Europe. And I backpacked for a month and a half until I got to Greece. And in Greece, I couldn't find my passport. So I was detained by police officers and brought to an illegal immigrant jail cell because they thought I was African running away from Africa and not wow. just. And so I spent um, nearly six days in an illegal immigrant jail cell wow. by myself at 19 um, with a whole bunch of other grown men uh, from all across the world. And I was only released because I faked an asthma attack to get out. Anyways, I'm writing about this. So oh, wow, I need to. Yeah, I, I really <laughs> wow. I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get it published. 2021, 2022. We'll see what happens. Well, I look forward to reading. But that, uh, that experience wow. traumatized me so mm -hmm. much so that when I got back to York University, I was unable mm -hmm. to do really well in my second year university classes, and then. Um, the thing that helped me pivot a bit was that I had a work experience in an all Jewish camp up North state in New York. Um, and I was forced to just work, work, work and not think about my own issues. Mm -hmm. And that just helped me do one thing, learn how to consciously repress my issues, yeah. Yeah. the healing part. It yeah. took three years after that, when I had an amazing professor who through our conversations, dissecting scripture in relationship to philosophy and psychology, I was able to pinpoint the very thing I needed to hear in order to liberate myself from my traumatic um, ensnarement. So I was suffering from neurotic compulsive um, ideation. So that means like, just like you both mentioned, I would fixate on a particular idea as it pertains to my self-worth and ruminate on that yeah. day and night and not even get sleep. And yeah. that was because of that experience in the jail cell where I was told that I was worthless and that no matter who I am in Canada, I'm still just a filthy African running away from Africa. Wow. And so that played with me for about four years after. And wow. through my exchange with that professor, I locked into something that has been motivating me and catapulted me ever since, um, which then led, of course, to the creation of my nonprofit and the other work that I do. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, my journey of healing is still ongoing, but I do have certain core principles that I'm able to refer back to mm -hmm. uh, to help me in moments of turmoil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we both we all spoke to that aspect of of um of being still. Yeah, and I, I I forgot to mention that I think that was a big thing for me, just learning how to be still because I was always busy, always, always, always busy, and so now every year I incorporate like some type of sabbatical in my life. Um, and I think I think what um. Something I read this book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. I preached. Oh, that I book. love that book. 
Oh my God. That's why you're my new friend. I declare today on June 11th at 8.45 that Dr. Smith is my new friend, right? Because he read The Emotionally Healthy Leader. How many people actually have read that book? Anyways, in that book, he talks about the fact that um, originally with the children of Israel, before they became slaves, they had their Sabbath. But when they were slaves, they would just work, 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 work. And so how many of us in the Black community hide behind work, hide behind so I mean, you know what I mean? And I think this is where we can talk about that systemic issue, because Mm -hmm. for some of us, it's not even a hidden thing anymore. Maybe for our generation, it's a hide behind work. But I know from like our parents' generation, they had to work. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. I think I think one of the reasons why generational trauma is, is so prevalent in the black community is because of that issue of, of privilege that we don't have and we have to work continuously. So we don't have that time to be still. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It, it's a false construct of the mind and it's something yeah. that we've been conditioned to um, subscribe to. And it's just unreal and it's unrealistic. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's uh, honestly though, that work ethic and that work habit that's very North American mm-hmm. is coming from the earliest settlers, right? And that's mm-hmm. the Puritan work ethic. And that's mm-hmm. the idea that God loves those who work hard. Work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not consistent with uh, theological principles, but nevertheless, it was <laughs> created the new world. Can can you say that again? It is not consistent with feel. I want you to say it though. I could you can you I want not, you to say it really nicely. Or it's inconsistent with theological principles. Okay. Mm-hmm. We have to have a whole live on that. <laughs> a whole live on that because when it comes to church and ministry, it's like you are expected to work. Yes, and, and pour yourself in the ground, and we don't attend to the traumas that people experience. No. So a, a church that's just Work, work, work is not a trauma-informed church. But, you know, that, that's... That. Go ahead. Tell us. a lot of <laughs> is a camouflage for pain. Yes. Say that again? Yes. I actually a, lot busyness, a lot of busyness is a camouflage for pain. And so just because people are hyperactive, doing a whole bunch of stuff, actually could indicate that they're really suffering. And they're but wow. denial, yeah. what we do, we, we award those and applaud those and laud those who are overworked and doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can never tell that there's pain yeah. in that work. Yeah, that's good. So I think I think an aspect of that is we need to take time to be still mm-hmm. and to sit with God mm-hmm. because yes. it's like a plant. We are like plants, right? I, I've recently become a proud plant mom. <laughs> I have three, I have two peace lilies. Because of COVID, right? Because of COVID, you said it's collective plants. Yeah, yeah. I have <laughs> it brought me so much peace. It brought me so yeah, much yeah. peace. But we are like plants, right? The Holy Spirit showed me this analogy that we are like plants. In order for a plant to be watered, it has to be still. If you're moving around the plant and the pot, the water is going to spill all over the place. And so if we begin to um, uh, see ourselves metaphorically and our hearts as plants, when we are still, the Holy Spirit will be able to pour in oil on those wounds so that we can be healed. Amen? Amen. I feel like I just preached a while ago. Amen. <laughs> um okay so Hallelujah. we amen we're gonna we're gonna shift a little bit um we have some so i have something that i want ashley to speak to um and and i think this comes with this aspect of of being still as well um so ashley 
And everybody, make sure you get your pen and papers because this is really important. Ashley, can you speak to how trauma is stored in our bodies and its effect on Black bodies? Um, first and foremost, I like I'd like to preface this with saying that there are conditions or illnesses that, um, as a healthcare worker, I've learned that um, as Blacks, um, we are predisposed to mean that um, we'll easily get them. So things like heart disease and asthma, um, stroke, um, high blood pressure um, are things that you will hear um, if you do the research that are common. Blacks are predisposed to these things, um, whether by genetics, um, environment, um, socioeconomic status. Um, there are certain cancers that we can, um, we're predisposed to sickle cell, obesity. Um, for for women and for black women in particular, we're talking about mental illness. Um, those are things that we are predisposed to. Means we're like we're. It's easier for us to get it in layman's terms. It is easier for us to get those things. So I need us to remember that we have to pay attention to how we are feeling because one, if you already have those conditions, trauma can exacerbate them and make them even worse. Um, and if you don't have them, trauma can push you to the line or across the line so then you contract these illnesses. So please do not ignore what your body is telling you. That's good. You only have one body. Amen. And our body is how we interact with the world around us. It is how we walk, how we talk, how we touch, how we. So if we do not take care of it, we put ourselves in a, um, in, at a disposition, right? If you're hustling all the time, if you're busy all the time, if you're not sleeping, things like that, you yeah. put yourself in a, in a rough place, mm -hmm. right? Um, if I can say it like that, and trauma manifests differently in anybody, in in everybody. So mm -hmm. one of the main things that happen during trauma is that in our bodies, and so I'm gonna kind of give like a little mini physio, physio um, physiological lesson at the moment, um, is that we release hormones um, that um, like heighten our stress levels, which is adrenaline and cortisol. And the cortisol, for example, is nature's built-in alarm system. It is our main stress hormone. Everybody know what stress is. So I don't have, like, if you say you're stressed, everybody know what stress is. So I'll mm -hmm. use that word. Um, so it works with that part of the brain that, you know, controls our mood, our motivation, our fear. It is helpful with the flight or flight, the fight or flight, um, fight or flight system. Wow, Ashley. Um, no, so no. the need the need for cortisol um, varies on a daily basis, right? Ashley, what's cortisol? Um, it's a hormone. Like literally, okay. that's what it's called. I can't explain it any other way. <laughs> um, like um, in our bodies when, okay, hormones are things which cause other things to happen. So mm -hmm. they're like chemicals in our body mm -hmm. um, which cause other things to happen. So if you need more energy, cortisol will help give you that energy, for example. It is like, um, if everybody heard of Tylenol, Tylenol causes decrease in pain, cortisol causes an increase in um, stress, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so cortisol helps to... It's like to heighten us. It shuts down systems in our body uh, that that it deems in the moment is not necessary. Yes, it's a stress hormone. Thank you, um, Natalie. So 
when you perceive that you are in danger or you are um you are like struggling or you are um dealing with fear at the moment cortisol is released the mm. thing is that after a certain time your body should deem that listen you are no longer in this stressful position so everything should return to normal but in trauma like constant stress can leave the alarm buttons on yep and so now your cortisol levels are high um and it leads to the derailing of like important functions in your body like an increase in in um hormones like energy given hormones like adrenaline and the stress hormone like cortisol um it can wreak havoc on your body if they're not at stable stable levels so then now you start looking at things that we are predisposed to remember we talked about what those conditions that we're highly likely to get at the beginning um we look at things that we are predisposed to happening now. So you're talking about anxiety and depression, mental illness. You're talking about headaches. You're talking about heart disease. You're talking about memory and concentration problems. Mm -hmm. um, I remember um, Dr. Smith saying earlier that as a result of what happened to him, when he when he came back, he couldn't function properly mm -hmm. in school. Mm -hmm. As a result of like high cortisol levels, you're looking exactly couldn't concentrate. You know, sometimes you have memory problems. You feel your your memory slipping a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you have problems with um, digestion. Sometimes you want to eat. Sometimes you don't want to eat. Like I'm saying, people react differently. You're looking at weight gain. You 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 can't sleep. You're having nightmares. These things are occurring. You know, you're dizzy, you're shaking, you're trembling, your breathing is rapid, your your thoughts are racing. So, mm -hmm. like these very and I'm and I'm giving a lot of um, what do you call it? Um, symptoms and signs because I want um us to know that listen, it can manifest differently in everybody. So, like, I don't just want to say this is the main symptom that you look for, and this yeah. is the an indicator like i'm trying to give as much as possible so people recognize like this is your body speaking to you mm -hmm. if like like i said earlier i was driving past a police officer and um you know with a young black man on the highway and my heart rate increased mm -hmm. i started feeling anxious that is a sign that listen something is off kilter during this period of time where we're finding ourselves, we're watching the videos of um, George Floyd. Like, I, I personally, I didn't watch the video. I just had somebody tell me what happened. Somebody who had the, the system to watch it because I know myself. I know how I function and I know the kind of trigger that is for me. So I did my best to avoid it because I'm like, I can't deal with the stress of that. Yeah. but somebody I was like okay since you watched it tell me like I'll do better if you tell me than if I watch it so it's those it's those little things that we need to watch for right mm -hmm. we have to be careful of what we intake pay attention am I how am I feeling am I too sad today am I am I a little jumpy am I snapping at people a little especially um you know my my Caucasian friends at work am I a little snippy Toward mm -hmm. them. you don't pay it, you don't think those things matter, but trust me, mm -hmm. am I a little <laughs> snippy? Am I a little snippy every time I, I every time I watch the video and I see like 
you know, police brutality towards my black brothers and sisters. I go to work and I'm just like, I just want to snap at everybody. <laughs> and they're, they're like, those are, th those are signs that these things, like they are affecting us. And remember, as I said, we are predisposed to certain conditions. So it is good for us to know these things one and pay attention to what our bodies are saying. To Am I achy? That's a, that's a good one. Cause lots of us have chronic pain. And that is as a result of um, trauma that we faced prior to. But mm -hmm. we just think it's just a little back pain. Mm -hmm. and it could be as a result of something that previously happened to That's us. Ash and, and, and hey, you're, you know, we're not paying attention to it. And one of the things with us is um, as a result of um, even our hustle, sometimes we won't go see a doctor because we'll say, I've heard it, I've heard it way too many times. You know, I don't have time yep. to go get checked out, for example. <laughs> I, I don't have time. And I understand the situations, like the variety of situations and circumstances that we encounter. However, these things, your body is the one, you have one body, mm -hmm. one, right? Mm -hmm. one body so pay attention to what your body is telling you those are my two cents <laughs> no thank you ashley um i know from myself um that i experienced something called trauma pains that's what, that's what i've given them a name where that's yeah. whenever i i realize when i'm traumatized by something or when i'm triggered rather um when my body is in almost like a state of chronic pain and i have to take um baths to just soak my body in like epsom salt um and unfortunately because the massage people they're not open <laughs> i can't i can't get a massage you know what i'm saying so that just sucks right yes. um, but i'm i'm big on body care so i stretch every morning stretching mm -hmm. is huge for me um i want to start doing yoga I'm, I'm i might start i'm, I'm gonna start Hot doing yoga. that pardon me Hot yoga is dope yeah, I'm I'm finding that more black bodies are entering this these type of spaces. So I'm comfortable with it. Yeah. So I'm 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 thinking of trying that. But yeah, I can totally agree with what Ashley is saying around there'll be days, honestly, where my body is just in pain. It's just in pain. So um it is real, but I've learned how to deal with it and how to work around it. And so us sharing this information with you is now for you to go and, hey, analyze yourself. How am I yeah. feeling? Yeah, am I feeling these yeah. pains in my body? I'm Especially with what's going on in community community right now, how am I feeling? So I know that we're going to, I want to ask Dr. Joseph, uh, Dr. Smith, a question. So I know that some of these things can be um, you know, contextualize for females. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We really, really talk about trauma within males. And so if there's some, for, there's two things. Share. If you haven't shared yet, press the share button. Um, that's number one, or as my husband would say, number A. And number B, um, if there's the guys in the, if, if there are any guys watching, um, I want you, I want to see you in the comments. And if you know a guy invite him to come into this this chat right now because dr smith i want to know um how can you speak to how trauma has affected our black men and probably can you even speak to how racism um has contributed to this sure 
Um, I could start off really by saying that first and foremost, there's there's no greater antidote to dealing with traumatic experiences or traumatic psychical, psychical headspaces mm-hmm. and authentic relationships wherein both parties feel that they can share openly with regards to who they are, what they care about and how they feel. Mm-hmm. Real strong relationships act as a buffer for stress and anxiety. Um, and I think that would beg the question of how does one acquire an authentic relationship? Mm. Obviously, it would start off by you um, developing yourself in an authentic manner, first and foremost, right? But we're not here to talk about that. I just wanted to highlight that that's where we're trying to get a lot of men to, especially in the spaces I work in, which is to engage in and thrive amongst meaningful, authentic relationships had between them and other men and other women. But there are a series of things that have to get done for a man to be able to tether themselves to that kind of mission or aim, right? And so I'll start off by just saying that we want to get men into spaces where they can feel like they have the room and the latitude to cathartically release all of their pent-up emotional energy. Mm. When men have traumatic pent-up emotional energy, it usually manifests in two ways if they haven't found that thing that can anchor them. Either they become extremely rigid or authoritarian, mm. or they become very callous and yeah. careless. That's mm. typically the ways in which they oscillate, right? I'm going to yeah. be extremely rigid today, or I'm just going to say I don't care about nothing and do whatever I want and harm people without thinking about their ramifications. Mm. And it's all a product of a patriarchal society where men have been force-fed certain conceptions of who they are. But I want to quickly talk about black masculinity for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just getting outside of the basic stereotypes and tropes of what a man is supposed to be, which is hyper-aggressive, um, maybe it's hypersexual, sexual uh, maybe it's a person that's constantly pursuing authority and power. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that men are force-fed irrespective of race and, and, and class. But for black men, the contradiction they find themselves in is that as they try to pursue things of that nature, their skin and often their class too have been weaponized against them, right? And it's been weaponized against them in such a way where they feel like every time they get into a space with women, men, irrespective of race, gender, class, whatever, they're going to be attacked and they're going to be unable to hold on to the little piece of manhood they have left. Manhood that's really false though, because it's not rooted in anything solid. It's just conventional and earthly, right? Mm. Um, So what we have to recognize is that as practitioners who want to create spaces of healing, we're going to have to anticipate the men that are coming into our spaces, knowing that all of this is going on in the back of their head, them trying to subscribe to conventional ideas of masculinity, But for black men, trying to deal with how their gender and how their race has been weaponized against them to to, um, brand them as sexual deviants Mm -hmm. or or to brand them as overly aggressive and and a threat. And so your goal is to disarm men. That's really what you have to do. You want them to in your space? You're going to have to disarm them. How do you disarm somebody? You have to first anticipate their assumptions and their biases and then counteract that with something that helps them relax those assumptions and biases. Mm-hmm. That's really all I've ever tried to 
construct in our spaces at Generation shows. Mm -hmm. We have so many mm -hmm. men who come in with all sorts of anger issues, um, um, oppositional defiance disorders, uh, neurotic compulsive disorders, psychosis on a minor scale. Um, and they're trying to self-medicate because they don't know how to deal with the contradiction of what? The way the world tells them they have to be. Mm -hmm. and and as they try to be that, even if it's false, it's weaponized against them. They're said, oh, you're, you're going too far with that as a man. And, and so we have to recognize if we want to create space mm -hmm. for men that the goal is always to disarm them, but not in a way where they feel like they're going to be effeminized, right? Mm -hmm. That's happening in a lot of spaces where men are afraid to enter into the church too because they they're going to be effeminized once mm -hmm. they get into that space and they mm -hmm. can't be masculine, whatever that means. They don't have a correct that's understanding true. of masculinity yet, but they're coming in with those that's biases. True, yeah. And so you have to anticipate all of that mm -hmm. in order to create a space of healing for men. Mm -hmm. And, you know, men often don't want to divulge how they're feeling because again, they're trying to protect this very false and elusive notion of masculinity that's been created for them by the very same society that's trying to kill them. And mm -hmm. so that's the contradiction I'm trying to speak to, right? And so yeah. this is all, these are all the things that are compounding black males as they're trying to figure out how to let go of um, aggression and anger that's been, has been held onto for so many years and decades even. Mm -hmm. um, so what I think we have to do better is in the spaces we create, we have to be very intentional about mm -hmm. speaking to a man's inhibitions. Mm -hmm. and, and men have a whole host of inhibitions because, again, they're afraid to appear other than a man yes. every day. And, and, and they're constantly trying to live up to this ideal of masculinity that's unattainable. Mm -hmm. So I, one thing is I've tried to practice is just be transparent and vulnerable in my own experiences of weakness and in my own abilities to overcome certain weaknesses of my own. Um, mm -hmm. And to also recognize that I'm going to be dealing with one of the two extremes, either a man that cares about nothing or a man that's extremely rigid and believes they're caring about the right things, but they're not. Mm. And so I have to disarm both of those types of men. Mm -hmm. And as it pertains to race, black men experience their race in very peculiar ways because in one end, on one end, they're fetishized by both non-black people of color and, and whites, and they're also fetishized by black women. And the mm -hmm. same thing happens for black women on the part of black men. But if we're just speaking about black men for a second, they're fetishized. And so they're having to deal with the potential of letting women down, if they're straight, of yeah. partners down when they don't live up to whatever false ideals someone else might have of them. Mm -hmm. And they're very nervous about this. So again, men are constantly trying to guard their manhood against mm -hmm. other attacks from outside. And that's why they're usually on the defense when it comes mm -hmm. to trying to get them involved in something that's really productive and meaningful. And if you don't know right now, we're, we're in a situation where, again, it's another contradiction. Although men usually possess really high positions in leadership or on boards or on committees, there is also a disconnect between that high standard and then men in everyday society who are dropping out of society now. Wow. And no longer find the conventional ways of doing anything meaningful. Mm -hmm. and so we have this disconnect, especially amongst black men, right? It's like there's this disconnect between the people at the top that are typically men, unfortunately, and then all the other men who are like, there's no place for me everywhere because every institution either sees me as a threat, doesn't trust me, or prefers someone else to me. Mm -hmm. and 
that's creating imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and that's neurosis and that's creating a lot of psychosis within our our, our male population groups and uh, the imposter syndrome is the biggest one because a lot of men don't feel like they have the authority and the right, especially black men, to go into spaces, lay claim to those spaces and express themselves comprehensively in those spaces. Yeah. And it's all part of conditioning. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't want to wow. No, this is this is great. I think that we need to have more discussions on this because when we talk about healing in the black community, very rarely do we talk about males mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. very very rarely are men a part of this conversation when especially right now where it is our black men that are being killed yeah. off yeah. you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. how is that and I, dr smith I, I i don't know if you can speak to that but how do you think black men seeing other black we already deal with compounded trauma we already deal with trauma we already deal with racial trauma um what can we speak to and what advice can you give to a black man who is seeing another black man get killed or other black men rather yeah it's 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 so it's so difficult it's a difficult question not because um it's just complicated but because there's no simple answer to it yeah yeah. For many of the men that are watching individuals like George Floyd um, get murdered or Ahmaud Arbery, mm. how it registers for them is that they have no legitimate reason mm-hmm. to trust institutions mm-hmm. and therefore no really legitimate reason to pursue institutional recognition. Mm-hmm. Because they already believe that from the outset, mm-hmm. they're going to be targeted or seen as a threat, mm-hmm. or their potential will be circumscribed. Mm-hmm. And and which is why I've noticed in my community, a lot of Black men give up early. They give up from 12 years old. They tune out. They say, there's no point. I can already tell that the system has coalesced and conspired against me. Mm. Right? And I'm being heavily surveilled, heavily policed. Mm-hmm. And I can't fit into the neat little box that they want me to fit into as a black man. And on top of that, how can I fit into this relegated black box while mm-hmm. I'm also being told that as a man, I'm supposed to be in charge. I'm supposed to lead. I'm supposed to mm-hmm. be uh, paramount to everybody and anything else. Also mm-hmm. a false notion. And so imagine presenting such a paradox to the mind of a 10-year-old boy and telling them to go figure it out. They're not going yeah. Right, they're gonna navigate the world quite blindly. Mm-hmm. They're gonna lose faith in everything around them slowly mm-hmm. but surely. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I w- I would be able to say to a young man watching all these things is that what you're seeing isn't an accident; it's by design. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that, insofar as it is a societal and historical construct created by people, you too can develop yourselves to where you can establish a new construct. That's good. In conjunction with your brothers and your sisters. Mm-hmm. Reimagine, re-envision a world where you are included and embraced for your true worth. Mm-hmm. That's really the work of what it means to be a progressive black man in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's the creative response to reality that often rejects you, whereby mm-hmm. you have to say, I'm gonna re-envision or reimagine something even if they kill me before I can see it manifest. It's mm-hmm. that courage and bravery, mm-hmm. but you grasp that when you're spiritually grounded. That's good. 
And so that's really the thing, right? We're trying to get them into spaces so we can then show them there mm -hmm. is a way to recast the narrative of your manhood and your blackness. Mm -hmm. But you first gotta be grounded because you're gonna be dealing with a lot of obstacles that are gonna make you swing from side to side, carelessness mm -hmm. or rigidity. And we mm -hmm. don't want either of that for our men. Mm -hmm. Y'all, wasn't that a powerful discussion? It was absolutely powerful. It was so amazing. I mean, when I listen back to that discussion, I'm like, wow, like it was just for me, it was just so powerful to be able to sit in the presence of other young black minds who had similar values and mission um, and, and, and mission of impacting our community from wherever they're at. You know what I mean? I think that that's, that's so powerful. It was such a multidisciplinary conversation because I'm coming from social work. Um, Dr. Smith is a PhD. Ashley is a nurse. We all have, you know, varying experiences, lived experiences and so forth. But I don't know. I thought it was just such a beautiful discussion. And my prayer is that you were impacted, inspired, empowered. I pray that you found truth. I pray that you found vulnerability in it. I found, actually, let me rephrase that. I pray that you found strength in our vulnerability in sharing some of our stories and so forth. And yeah, man, share with somebody else. As I've said in the beginning, as I said in the beginning of that discussion, share with everybody black okay share with everybody black um i think this discussion of healing is an important one we have so much history of trauma collective trauma so many things but i feel like we can flip the narrative and have a a um we can have a history now of healing moving forward it can definitely be done also, next week, I have a huge announcement. Ooh, cha! I can't wait. But next week, I have a huge, huge announcement. Well, it's huge to me. <laughs> but I have a huge announcement that I'm going to be sharing with you all. I'm really excited, working on some stuff behind the scenes. And I can't wait to see it come to manifestation and fruition and see what God's going to do through it. All right, family, love you all so very much. And thank you for taking the time out to listen to another episode of the She Speaks Truth podcast. Always and forever speaking God's truth over you. Take care, guys.